Morena, everyone. So, if you remember, cast your mind back to last week when Chris preached that awesome sermon about how at Pentecost Jesus poured out his spirit onto the church, gave them the power and the passion to spread the gospel throughout Jerusalem. Well, incredible things happened from that point on, and that's what I'm going to be covering today. I'm going to do a um, a flyby of all of Acts for you in one sermon. <laughs> so bear with me. Uh, but these Christians, at the start of where Chris ended off and where I'm picking up, they were meeting together every morning. And then they would go out to their jobs. They would do all of the things that they had to do. Mums would be with other mums in the community, whatever life looked like back then. And then in the evening, they would come back to worship together again. They would debrief on how their day was. They would talk about the struggles they'd had, the awesome things that had happened. They would give thanks to God and they would be refreshed for the next day. What an amazing commitment to God that we see in these early Christians. Because I think we often forget they had jobs, they had lives, they had community commitments, and they were being persecuted by the Romans at the same time. So for them, they had a lot of things going on for them but they carved out this time to really put God at the center. And from there, they saw God working powerfully in their midst. And as we begin today, I want to set my heart out for all of you guys. Isn't seeing God powerfully at work in our midst just the deepest desire of your heart? I know it is for me. And when I read what the early Christians were like and all of the success in sharing the gospel they had, that just aches inside me. That's what I want. I want to bring people to know Jesus. I want to be part of this amazing thing that God is doing. And I believe that we can be. So this morning, I want to say woe to us if we don't take on board the lesson that we have from these readings Um, And Nathaniel, if you could put up the next slide for me. There's not another slide. Okay. Um, Can someone read for me, Chris? (laughs) Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, thank you. So in Matthew 6.33, Jesus, just before that, he's talking about giving to the needy. It's interesting because it's like Sean was saying, it's one of these verses that says, don't worry, don't be anxious, give freely. And it says, because we need to put the kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom, and all that other stuff that you're worrying about is going to be added to you. You don't need to worry about it. He gave us the blueprint for living an effective life in the kingdom. And I'm saying again, woe to us if we don't take that on board. See, what God wants from us is sacrifice. Okay, before, like a couple of weeks ago, I said it was obedience and presence were the two things in the temple. And part of that obedience is living a sacrificial life. When Abraham was told to go and sacrifice Isaac, It's a hard story to read, isn't it? It's a story where he is asked to give up his most beloved thing to God. And he does. He takes Isaac along and he's about to sacrifice him. And God says, hold on, don't do that. Okay, 
What I wanted was the heart willing to sacrifice, but I don't want your son. I want you to live this amazing life full of joy and success. I want you to prosper. It's that sacrifice that God wants, that heart willing to sacrifice. And all those other things that we worry about, God will take care because God provides. Now imagine if each one of us decided to step out. We hear the sermon today, we think about the early church, and we think that is what I want to be a part of. Imagine what we could do here. Imagine how exciting it would be. I would just be forever in people's houses listening to the amazing things they've been doing during the day. I would love to come back here and just be inspired and refreshed. I probably wouldn't leave, um, but it would be so incredible. And I think we could be just on the verge of being like that if we all take that step forward together. So before I keep launching into Acts, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given Jesus for us, that you have made a way back to yourself through your love. And Lord, as we look at Acts this morning, as we get inspired by people who sacrificed everything, Lord, and saw you working so strongly amongst them, may we be inspired to take a step forward in our faith as well. Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to really descend upon us, to fill us, embolden us, empower us for your glory. Amen. So, the early church, how were they so successful, right? Everyone wants the magic recipe. Well, they had a, as a body of Christ, they had a two-pronged attack, okay? What they had is they had the preachers going in, and they'd go into the synagogues, and they would preach the word, and then they would teach in the evenings with their people. That was like the backbone of the church, right? But for a body, you need all of the other stuff, the flesh, the organs, the limbs, and that's where the rest of the church came in, the regular, everyday Christians. And they were so committed, as I said, that people would see the way in which they lived. They lived out exactly what it was that Jesus taught. They, they were examples for people to see what it meant when Jesus said all of those things that he said. It was the teaching alive in front of them. And that is what was bringing people to Christ in numbers. It was that dedication of everyday Christians like you and me that helped the gospel take root and spread. So these early Christians, what were they busy doing? Well, apart from their own regular lives, they were out there feeding the poor. Okay, that was one massive thing that they used to do. They were providing outstanding hospitality to people. They were welcoming people into their homes. They were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to all the people they met. They were cleaning graves of people they didn't know and tending to those those things that matter so much to people, our loved ones. They were caring for other people's lost loved ones. They were being benevolent to strangers. Not sure in which ways, all of these ways probably, but that's straight out of the text. They were teaching people to read. So they wanted people to read the scriptures, to know what was going on in their faith. And so that education was a big thing for the early Christians. They were providing medical care. Back then, they didn't sort of have welfare, and they, when people got sick, they often just didn't have the care they needed and died. But the Christians were providing this kind of care. And in the generations to come, Christians actually started the first public hospitals for people. Christians were so busy improving the lives of the people around them that Emperor Julian wrote to all of his magistrates saying his concern 
because they were showing up the deficiencies in the Roman Empire and the way that it was taking care of the people. The gospel made so much progress in this time because of the selfless acts of love that everyday Christians were doing for the people around them. So the gospel was spreading. Okay, We get that very clearly from the start of Acts. And it was people, there were people coming to faith in numbers in Jerusalem. It's awesome, but it had its challenges. It wasn't all easy going for these early guys. Uh, we see in Acts 4 that Peter and John were arrested. It's what Malcolm was reading about before. So they heal this, this crippled beggar, and then questions start arising. People start following them. They're teaching the gospel. And then they get hauled in front of the, uh, the chief priests and the elders and it says that they were um, asked to explain themselves. Why are you doing this? Okay. And so what they do is they take the situation. Instead of thinking, oh, this is, this is a, you know, a terrible thing happening to us. Instead, what they actually did was they used it for God's glory. So what they did was they got in front of these people and they preached the gospel again. Um, they take every opportunity they can. They're, they're real goers, these guys, Peter and John. And so what they do is they preach it out. And it's said that the people were so impressed with them. It says that they were amazed because they saw two guys who they knew weren't very educated. They were ordinary people. And they were so bold in sharing this gospel that the other people around them were amazed. So what they did is they kind of threatened them a few times, said, you know, stop preaching that. Okay, be on your way. After that, you think you might get a little bit, you know, disheartened, you know, you're getting, now you're getting conflict with the authorities. But actually what happened, as you heard, they were emboldened. The people went back, they praised God, they gave thanks, and they said, you know, give us some more of this. We need to, more boldness to preach the gospel and to keep doing what we're doing. And when they did that, you heard what happened. The Holy Spirit shook the building filled them with more boldness, and they went out. And it says, with more boldness, they performed these wonders, healings, deliverances, sharing the gospel, bringing people to faith. Persecution didn't hinder these Christians, but instead provided a deeper hunger for sharing the gospel. So what the world meant for evil, God used for good. And now, as we keep going through Acts, you see that it's getting so big that they need more leaders. Those 12 are not enough. So in Acts 6, we see deacons are added to the numbers of leaders, um, and they're overseeing the practical community work. So as you can see, things are getting bigger, and things are needing more structure, and more people are being pulled into leadership. And it keeps going in power. It says in Acts 6-7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests came to be obedient to the faith. And as you know, they have direct influence over all of their congregations. So it feels like this is just erupting, right? Like everyone is catching this. Uh, and it was. But the gospel wasn't meant to just be in Jerusalem. Okay? So it, it would have been so exciting to see all these people coming to faith in your community around you. But that is not the plans. God had much bigger plans. Um, and so because this gospel... Um, activity is coming along, um, there was more concern from the authorities. The Christian problem uh, was becoming a real issue to the Romans as well. Eventually, we see in Acts 7 that one of the new deacons, Stephen, Stephen is such an awesome guy, I love reading Stephen's um, speech in Acts, he gets captured, and when he does, what does he do? 
He preaches that gospel again. He's awesome. He goes back, he goes through all of the old school scriptures, and he says, look at all of this. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then he unfortunately is stoned to death and martyred for the cause. But this, this death isn't for nothing. It inspires everybody else to get out there and be more bold. And what actually happens at this point is full-blown persecution comes upon the church. And many of them have to leave the cities and they go out to take refuge in the surrounding cities. And you might think this is a bad thing, but as I said before, it was never meant to just be happening in Jerusalem. God wanted it to spread. So in a way, this persecution just it started that spread to get further and further out, and more and more cities were hearing the gospel message, all because of that persecution, which was aimed to stop the gospel message. So as Acts progresses, miracles keep happening, and churches keep being planted in new cities. Um, as we heard in Acts 8.4, Philip was taking on that, land, that leadership mantle, and he was going out and preaching and doing miracles in different cities. He was converting um, travelers from foreign cities who would then go back to their places and continue to keep preaching. So the gospel is spreading and spreading and spreading. And around this time, we get the amazing conversion of Saul. Saul, who was persecuting the churches, becomes our beloved Saint Paul after his experience with Jesus in, on the road to Damascus. So Jesus, you know, as we know the story, completely stops him in his tracks and Paul is now a captive of Jesus Christ. Paul is our most intelligent and bold and forward-thinking strategic missionary that we had at this point. And he goes out and starts doing his ministry, which spreads the gospel even more. So it all sounds like everything is amazing, right? The church is getting persecuted, but it's still spreading. We've got this awesome story. They're all passionate, and they're doing amazing stuff everywhere they go. What an amazing time to be alive. But it's not all easy, okay? Persecution doesn't sound easy to start with, and being made a refugee, also not easy. But it's not all easy within the church. So we kind of have this, this view into it in a few chapters in Acts that actually there are a few insider kind of fights. You know, Paul gets um, upset with one of his companions and chooses another one. We have internal church conflict about the Jews and Gentiles. We have, you know, there are internal problems, let's put it that way, as well as the external problems. So it, it is challenging, and our leaders in this time are really challenged. But they keep going because they have that spirit of Jesus just urging them on. And so, at this point, we see this mission strategy change. So before it was, you know, you'd talk to the people around you. Then they got persecuted, right? They went out to the different cities around, took refuge. But at this point, Paul and the, the other apostles get very strategic. And Paul starts his missionary journeys. It's the first time that they're actually going out intentionally to share the gospel to different places around. So Paul... Um, helped by the Pax Romana, which, as you might know, was the um, peace agreement that had come around through the Roman Empire. It actually enabled the spread of the gospel because Paul had safe travel in the places that he went. Um, and he went to strategic places. So sort of 
hubs where people would go through um, to get to other places, he would meet right there in the middle. And what he would do is he would go and he would preach in the synagogue and then he would go out into the marketplace. So for Paul, he saw this as a real fulfillment of the scriptures where it said that Israel was going to be blessed to be a blessing. So salvation started with the Jews and then it spread to the others. So even in his actions, he was living out this covenant um, and fulfilling what God had been saying the whole time. He too was a follower of the biblical story and theology was a huge thing to Paul. And that's, as you've seen, we've pulled so many of our ideas straight out of the words that Paul has used as we've done that the last year. You see, Paul was passionate in his mission to create Jesus Church, and Jesus Church was Jew and Gentile together. So Paul especially had a heart of mission to go out to all those Gentiles and to bring them in. Unity, as you read through Paul's writing, is so important. And for him, it came out of this practical experience of seeing these Jews and Gentiles together coming to Christ. The amazing thing with Paul is we know that it didn't matter if you were Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, everybody had the same status in the kingdom of God. So this message that he was preaching brought life and hope to those whose society had kind of disempowered. Women were empowered, widows, orphans, everybody was supported and given this value, an amazing thing that society was not giving to them. So the hope that it brought was just huge. So then we wonder, why was Paul so successful? What is it about this one man that was, he really boosted the missionary efforts of the early church? Um, N.T. Wright was writing on this in his book, his biography on Paul, which is really, really great if you ever get the chance to read it. I've got one, so just come and ask me. Um, and he said that Paul's answer would be, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is in charge. Wherever Paul went, if he was following the Spirit's lead. He wanted to go somewhere, we're told, and Spirit said no, so he just didn't go. It was all through the Spirit of Jesus that things were happening. And that was coupled with the hard work that all of the Christians were doing. So it was the Holy Spirit and humanity working together to advance the gospel. Now, when he talked about Paul's personal motivation, Paul just worked night and day uh, for the gospel. I mean, you read his writings, he's the most incredible person. He's just got such a heart for Jesus. What was his motivation? And his motivation, he says again and again, was the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has this personal relationship with Jesus that just blows him away. He is so full of love that he is just pouring it out on the people that he meets. He was totally motivated and captivated by the gospel himself. And so he knew that he had to give that to other people. Coupled with this deep, deep conviction of the gospel, was this knowledge that soon, he believed, Jesus would come back. When Jesus came back, Jesus would judge the living and the dead. The time for missionary endeavors would be over. Before that happened, Paul wanted to reach as many people with the gospel as he could. He wanted to save as many people as he could before that day. Now, for us, we don't talk much about what happens when you don't believe 
But that was right in Paul's mind. He knew that people he didn't reach would, be, would suffer from a separation from God for all of eternity. And it's an unpleasant thought, but it was a big motivator for the early Christians. And I suggest that it might be a motivator for us too if we think seriously about what God has said. The Lord will return like a thief in the night. You'll never know when it's happening and you want to be active and you want to be ready and you want to be doing the right thing when he comes back. We want to be doing God's work. We want to see a smile on God's face, so to speak. Like Paul and the early Christians, the deep self-sacrificial love and the urgency of the mission are two things that should characterize the way in which we do life and we share our faith. So what do we learn from Acts? Certainly some exciting history that can be motivating for us, but I want two main things for you guys to think about and take away today. The first is that God's plans will always succeed. He will make a way. We saw all those persecutions. All it did was furthered God's plans. The real thing for us to think about is are we going to be a part of that or are we going to miss out? Are we making ourselves available to be part of God's exciting, awesome mission or are we going to miss out? My next point is that if we prioritize Jesus' mission in our lives and we're willing to step out, we're willing to sacrifice our comfort, our money, our time, uh, all of the things that we care about, if we're willing to make those sacrifices, have a sacrificial heart, if we offer ourselves fully to God, we can see amazing things happen through us for the kingdom. I know and I trust that if I step out, if I empty myself and I offer myself for the service of God, amazing things happen and amazing things are planned by God for me to do that will happen. And it's the same for each one of you. What I would like us to be is a people who end up doing so much amazing, incredible things and seeing lives transformed, hope brought to the hopeless in front of our eyes that we will have so many stories, we will never stop telling them. We will be excited until the day we die or are called home. That is what I want for our church. And miracles still happen, people. They can still happen. We just need to put ourselves out there for them. Um, I'd like to invite our Sean, Sean Hofer, one of our elders here. I want him to come up and share an experience that he's had with you all. Probably in that one. Kirofana. Gabby and I are um, helping some friends of ours, Joseph and Leslie. Um, they run a ministry called Pioneer. And um, last month, they did a, a ministry trip down to uh, Wanganui. You know, not the delights of Fiji, as some of you have had to enjoy over the last few years. Wanganui. There was a river, at least, you know, and I did see the waves once, sort of. Um, and it, it's, 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 in terms of a ministry, it's all sort of self-funded, right? So we're, um, you know, need to uh, pay our own way to drive down there and stay there to contribute our time and, and you know, minister with them. And um, I had been given a heads up that I was going to be on the prayer team 
this time, as opposed to sort of, you know, running support. Now, I tell you what, seven hours of driving from Auckland to Wanganui is a lot of time to dwell on your holiness, to dwell on your faith, to dwell on the fact, is God going to use you to heal someone, or were you going to be made to look an absolute fool? Because I felt for, this, for the people, right? I felt for this need, and I thought someone's going to come up with a real need, and, and I'm going to get to pray for them. What's going to happen, right? And so, um, you know, that, that sort of rolled through for about three hours of the trip, and then uh, I then started thinking about deliverance. And I thought, well, if I can't do healing, how am I going to manage deliverance? And so we just sort of soaked in this fear and this worry and this doubt, and uh, eventually... Um, I, I started thinking, well, what do I know? What are the facts? What can I hold on to? And we've recently completed um, the book of Romans in our uh, home group. And uh, I remember verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercies, right? In view of everything that God's done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for that is your spiritual worship. And it suddenly twigged to me at that moment that, that meant obedience, right? And I was, I was putting myself out there. I was putting myself in front of people that had a need, but all I needed to do was be obedient. And I said to God right then and there, I'll pray for anyone. Just put them in front of me. doesn't matter what problem they got. I'll pray for anyone. And um, so that's how we got in. And um, so we did a uh, session on Thursday night. We met all the local churches. Uh, we did a team session Friday morning. Um, we then did Friday night with probably two, 250, 300 people. Saturday morning, we did probably uh, maybe 50, 60 people. Um, Saturday evening, we did another 250-odd people, and then um, we went to a church um, the next morning, and then we had to drive back before the, uh, the Sunday night session, unfortunately. But there was probably about another 300-odd people at that church session on, on the Sunday night. And so um, things that I saw while I was there, um, I saw a lady who was 70-odd years old. She'd had um, scoliosis, so, you know, the, the bent spine, the curved spine, so she couldn't stand up straight, right? She'd had that for 20 years. Um, her hips from, um, she had fibromyalgia as well, so her hips were all skew, and her foot was, was, like, sort of bent, so she couldn't actually straighten her leg, and she couldn't straighten her foot. Um, and I saw her completely healed, literally dancing and celebrating and praising God. Um, we got a written testimonial from her two days later, and she testified everything about her condition, the fact that she'd been prayed for before and nothing had happened, but this time it was just this release and God healed her on the spot of everything. Um, had went to the, um, uh, not massage, but the um, physio went and you know basically did a, a check with her and all her muscles had lined up and straightened and everything um, in her legs. So totally healed, right? Praise God. And uh, I didn't pray for that person, but I saw it happen and it was exciting, right? Um, I got to pray for a guy who uh, was a stubborn old man who'd had uh, a back problem for 20-odd years as well, um, and he was really stiff, really just struggling to walk. Um, and I was like, right, so tell me, pain out of 10? And he was like, oh, eight. I was like, okay, cool, let's pray. And we prayed, and we commanded that pain to go, and I was like, right, how do you feel now? He goes, seven and a half. Like, <laughs> we'll pray again then, right? How are you doing now? Oh, seven. And um, we got down to a half, a half out of ten. He said, yep, I'm feeling better. Thanks, mate. And I saw him the next day. And do you know what? He came running in. 
He was literally just free, could move, could turn, everything was gone, totally healed. And that was awesome. It was really inspiring for me because, you know, I just said, Lord, just put anyone in front of me and I'll just pray. But the story that I wanted to share um, was on Sunday where we went to um, the church. So we went up to Castle Cliff. If you know Wanganui, it's a bit of a, a poorer area of Wanganui, and there's a lot of Māori churches there, or Māori houses, and there's a Māori church that we were sitting in there. And um, Joe, he's, he's, he's an amazing leader. He just leans over to us as we get into the church, and he says, hey, listen, I'd like you to share something you know, of encouragement with the church a little bit later. And kind of Gabby and I look at each other, and we're like, oh, we're not prepared for this. Okay, what's going to happen? And as he said that, this picture of Pringles, you know what a Pringles tube looks like, right? And you know the, uh, the advert, once you pop, you can't stop, right? But I just had this picture of the fact that, that that Pringles tube is so tightly shut, right, that you can't actually get in it. But the minute it's popped, right, out come the chips, right, and that flavor and that smell, you can almost instantly smell, right? So I had that, and I'm like, oh, is that from God, or is that just me? Like, <laughs> When, when, when was the last time I ate Pringles? I don't remember last time. I don't, we don't have TV, so I haven't seen that advert recently. I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Anyway, so we entered into worship, and we were, we were just worshiping. And then he's like, right, I'm going to introduce the team to you. And he brought us all up, and he's like, right, Sean, you go first. I'm like, <laughs> right, so I had this vision, and I shared it with them. And they were kind of like, oh, that's really you know, cool. Because I was like, you know, see that as once you rip the top off, you know, God will just fill your church and fill your town and all that sort of stuff. And they were like, yeah, that's sweet. And then I heard the word saint. And I was like, wow, I wanted to introduce you or say hello to you guys as saints. I wanted to acknowledge you as saints. Um, but I felt that there was someone here who that wouldn't work for. Someone, who, someone wouldn't accept the word saint, that they weren't a saint. And um, Joe just grabs over and he's like, oh, that, that's for someone here. That's for someone here. So come on, put your hand up. Who's that for? And uh, <laughs> the biggest most shaved head, most tattooed, strongest Māori bloke in the back corner stands up and goes, that's me. And he's like, come on up, man. Sean's going to pray for you. I'm like, okay. And uh, he came up. And um, it, was, it was kind of, so he'd sort of then moved on to the next person to share their next encouragement. So I kind of landed up on stage, effectively, with this guy, his pastor, another big Māori bloke, standing behind him. And I started praying for this guy, and I just said, hey, man, what, what, what's, what's going on? And he shared a couple of things that were the issue, and I was like, cool, let's pray through that. And we, we, we started praying, uh, and we broke that off him in Jesus' name. And then, like, I literally, my hand was on him, right? And then all of a sudden, he just kind of, you know, like, did this weird sort of, like, stumble thing, but he was totally rooted to the ground. But it was, you know, like this, and I, I grabbed his other arm, and I was like, it's all right, mate. I'm here. It's all good. And then he finished praying, and he went back to his seat. And I was like, oh, okay, that was all right. Um, and then at the end, um, his wife um, came up to Gabby and was like, hey, could you pray for me? Um, and she was like, called me over to go and uh, minister with um, her, because we're always praying twos. Um, and so we started praying for her. And then um, knowing what he had said to me, I was wondering, well, does she know about the stuff that, you know, he's just acknowledged to me and that we've just prayed for? And then she suddenly just starts opening about that as well. And then he starts walking over, and now I'm like, uh-oh, we're in trouble now, right? And I turned, because I saw her look at him, and was like, I'm just telling them about and something else, right? And then I turned to look at him, and it was a different guy. And I can tell you what, what I saw when he stood up to come for prayer was dark, gray cloud. It was just, it was just 
you know, there was something there, right, that actually made me stand back and like, whoa, okay, this is going to be big. And when he came out that time, it was different. It was, it was light. It was white. It was the transformation. What I saw, you know, from the beginning of the service to the end of the service was astounding. And it's hard to explain that in words. But for me, that was actually the biggest miracle that I saw all weekend, right? Because there was this guy who was just totally oppressed with something who then found Jesus and it was just gone, right? And he said to me, I don't know what you said or what you did, but I felt I was floating 55 miles above the earth. And that's why I was like, bring me back, right? And then you grab my hand and I knew everything was going to be okay. And it was just the most amazing thing, right? And that came out of severe doubt and severe testing of my faith of, you know, am I good enough, right? And, and what I learned out of that is God just wants us to be obedient, right? I can't do anything. He does it all, right? He just wants me to be there. And so I encourage you. It is scary. I know. But give it a shot. So guys, we stand in the lineage of those amazing Christians, those early church people, regular people who did extraordinary things. And I believe that we too can see those extraordinary things, just like Sean has been describing in our church, if we step out. We wonder why there aren't people converting, coming to Christ. Why don't we see that happening in our church every week? And I'm, I'm going to take a guess and say it's because we're not going out and telling people about Jesus. Okay, We've got to go out there. We've got to be the people that God uses, be part of this, this amazing chance to share the gospel, to be an active part of God's kingdom. Um, and I really want to see us doing that. I want people in our congregation to have testimonies like Sean's every week of all the amazing stuff that they're doing out there during the week, seeing miracles happen. So I urge you, seek first the kingdom and then everything else will be added to you. God will look after you. All you need to do is, like Sean did, trust God and take that step. Don't be satisfied with a mediocre faith when we could have an extraordinary one. So I urge you guys today, make that commitment. Whatever it looks like for each one of you, but make sure you tell us about it, because we love to hear the exciting stuff that's going on through all of our GPC people. And have courage. Be blessed. Step out. Amen.